to be able to take it to that next level. That's what I'm excited about. Mills, quick pass. Nico at the five. Nico in the end zone. The dagger. And Grenard with the sack back at the 25-yard line. Touchdown, Houston. Rock and roll. Tremont Smith, coast to coast. There is no offseason for your Houston Texans. Game day is every day. Now, it's Texans All Access. Oh, yes. Hello, Texans. Welcome to the program that gets you in touch with the Houston Texans as we are done with OTAs on our way to minicamp. Mark Vandermeer with you with John Harris. It's Thursday night, and that means, as always, the General John McClain joins us. And, yes, it is the time between OTAs and minicamp. Soon it will be the time between minicamp and training camp, which is a lot longer than this. This is just the weekend. And I know there are other stories out there related to the Texans, some more than others. Uh, Johnny and I like to keep this to a football-type show with occasional pop culture references and others. John McClain might want to comment on some other things. Who knows? But anyway, General, how are you doing tonight? Great to have you on, as always. I'm doing great. It was fun to be out at the OTA this week and uh, watch all the teaching going on from the uh, Lovey Smith, the coordinators, position coaches, and especially watching the rookies. And then, of course, minicamp coming up next week. And then everybody uh, goes on vacation as they prepare for training camp and all the excitement that that entails in Lovey Smith's first camp as a head coach for the third time in his NFL career. J- uh, General, I'm going to put this one on a T for you. Tell us how great Jalen Petrie was at Baylor and tell us how great Jalen Petrie has been in the times we've watched him at OTAs. One of the things this week, I was I spent a lot of the practice with Spencer Tillman. I, I like getting Spencer's observations. And he we were standing off to the side, and he was watching. And, he's, and he, the thing he raved about most was the pass passes by Mills. He'd say, oh, man, look at that. That was beautiful. Or did you see that pass? Man, he had some He had some velocity on it. But one time, Petrie, who was working with the first team, and, when, and uh, he made a big pass breakup. And Spencer told me all about him, everything except he went to Baylor. So I wanted to hear what Spencer said. And because uh, he, he covered some of his games uh, for TV when he was a, where he's an analyst. And so – um, Petrie and oh, oh, last week I also went and interviewed Dave Aranda. He was there at Baylor night at the Touchdown Club, and uh, Mark Berman and I were there. And first thing I asked him was about Petrie, and and one of the things he said, he will be a terror on special teams. But he talked about why he will make a good adjustment because he's very smart. He's very instinctive. He got a lot of experience in college. And Aranda's two years at Baylor, they moved him to a hybrid safety uh, linebacker position where he played around the line of scrimmage a lot. And he's very smart about evading blockers, knowing how to use his quickness and his size to get away from them. And, And then he talked about how good he is in coverage. And, of course, he just went on and on about Jalen Petrie, as everybody does who is around him. Now, the Texans will be careful because he's a rookie, and Nick Casario doesn't like talking up rookies too much. And it's like Bill O'Brien didn't like to – I don't even know if Bill knew the rookies' names. 
I think he knew Watson in 17. And, uh, but they're going to be talking about Petrie. I said from day one, and of course I'm partial because I went to Baylor and I watched almost every game Petrie played. And I think he'll be a day one starter. I believe he will be. And if Stingley is healthy, he will be, and he should be healthy. And I'm guessing Kenyon Green is going to start at left guard. And it, I don't think it's going to take very long for Damian Pierce to become the starting running back. And at some point this year, you know, we could see five or six rookies starting. Uh, John Mechie in the slot once he's 100% and figures it out as a rookie receiver. And that's good because that bodes very well for the future. John brought up a lot right there, but let's go with Kenyon Green, who may or may not start. We don't know. Obviously, when you draft a guy in the first round, you want to see that player start. If he doesn't start right away, right away, is that okay? Is it just part of the process, being an offensive lineman and trying to learn his way in the NFL? And I say, when, is that okay, for lack of a better way of putting it? Of course it is, Mark. He's got to make an adjustment. He played every position for A&M. I asked John Lopez, when I, as I watched a foot injury, he had knee issues. Did Green play center? And he said, yes, as a freshman year, he played center. So I know that's not the plan, but I'm wondering if they will give him a shot at that when training camp begins. To me, you don't want to put too much on a rookie, learn one position. I've said this for years now. Xavier Suofilo, they put had him doing too many things when he came in late because the fact 12 players couldn't report uh, uh, along with every other player because of rules in that conference. And then they moved him different spaces, not like they do an injustice. And I think at one point O'Brien admitted that. So let Green learn one position. And once he's comfortable with that, and he's a smart guy, who should make a smooth transition. Then if you want to try him somewhere else, try him somewhere else. But it's scary when you're starting center and one of you and your leader in the offensive line who has had issues with his wheels limps off. General Davis Mills throughout OTAs. We've seen some good. We've seen some needs improvement. Going into training camp, obviously we'll see two, three, four, I don't know how many practices we have to mean camp three, sorry, that we'll see next week. After those three are over, how do you think you'll feel about Davis Mills going into training camp and then going into the season as the number one quarterback? Nothing's going to change anything I think about Mills. And one of the reasons I like Mills is because they like Mills. You know, they see him in ways we don't. They see him in meetings. They see him in the locker room. They see him the way he interacts with his teammates behind the scenes. And all that's important for a quarterback trying to establish himself as a leader. And he's got Brandon Cooks, their best offensive weapon. He's got Nico Collins, who has worked really hard. I've said this before, and I'll say it again. I love it when players stay after practice and work. Nico Collins stays after practice and works. So going in, considering considering Collins opted out of his last year at Michigan, you know, he was he was lost a lot of last year, but he flashed. And I was talking to Andre Johnson. And I said, you know what, because Andre works out and he looks like he can play tomorrow. I said, Nico Collins looks a lot like you. He's an inch taller, and you don't weigh what you weighed when you were a rookie, 222. And I think he got up to 230 at one point 
in his career. Collins is listed at 215. And one of the things that always bothers me, every year I request up-to-date weights. If I'm a player and I have worked my tail off in the weight room, and I'm an offensive lineman and I've gone from to 315 from 300 because that's what Mike Eubanks and the coaches want. I want people to know it. Or if I'm a guy that's overweight and I've worked so hard to lose weight, I want people to know I've done it. So I'd like to know what Nico Collins has packed on that six foot four frame. He doesn't look like a basketball player. He looks like a big wide receiver and he's going to be good for males. And I think when John Matchy, is healthy and ready to go because he's out there getting all the mental stuff. He'll be the best slot receiver they've ever had. And Mills's weapons, including an improved running game, will help his progress and help Pep Hamilton get even more out of him. John, what do you think Camp Lovey is going to be like? And it could be different from whatever way he ran it in Tampa or with the Chicago Bears. So far, it's hard to gauge these things, but he likes to practice early in the morning, looking like that's going to continue, that kind of thing. And it's very spirited out there. I know we've seen it spirited before. The vibe seems very good. Your take on what you're seeing out there, plus the fact that you brought this up, and I wrote about this as well on HoustonTexans.com, he does like to give you some information in the post-game media gathering. That's must-see TV on digital TV with the Houston Texans website and app where he's telling you about how Petrie's doing and where guys are on the depth chart. Not everybody, but certain guys as we stand now. I know things can change. Well, first of all, uh, Mark, the it's changed again. Game's changed a lot. All seasons changed because of the rules and the CBA. Training camp has changed. I would imagine when Lovey got to Chicago, they had a lot of full contact in training camp, and then maybe when he was at Tampa. But now, nobody that I know of, well, some of them may. I know Belichick does it a little bit. Maybe the Steelers don't have a lot of full contact where, where players are just beating the hell out of each other like it's game-type uh, situations. So uh, the thing about early in the morning, I think that's great. You know, the, he's he's aware for all of his specialists over there of the heat. You guys know that when it is really hot, you're not going to get the best out of your players when they're tired, not just physically but mentally. So if you practice earlier, Jack Pardee with the Oilers used to do two days. He'd start at 7 a.m. out in San Angelo when it was cool. And then you'd have the other 7 p.m. And they had full practice at 7 p.m. But you get more out of players mentally when the weather is not as bad. And those early practices, they've been very fortunate. We've been very fortunate being out there that there's a little breeze and it hadn't been terrible. And and uh, so I think Lovey being a defensive coordinator, his background is in defense, that he he will spend a lot of time on defense. And he's turned over the offense to Pep Hamilton. Lovey keeps up with everything, and he keeps up with special teams too and Frank Ross. So I think the players the players like Lovey and they respect him. It would be hard not to respect him when you look at his background and things he's accomplished in coaching, going back to when he was coaching the secondary for the Buccaneers under Tony Dungeon, guys like John Lynch and Rondé Barber. And then you see he had the trajectory – of his career as defensive coordinator of St. Louis, head coach of Chicago. There's nothing Lovey Smith is going to see that he hasn't seen in one way or another. Now, he was out five years in college football, but
it's like you said, he kept up with the NFL, and and I'm really fired up about training camp with the Texans because I think they're going to be better this season. I think they're going to win could win five or six games. We're going to see a noticeable difference on both sides of the ball, beginning with Davis Mills. I'll tell you when not to have practice. Five o'clock on June 9th. Hundred degrees out? No, you can have that noise. You can forget that nonsense. I'll go back to the Greenbrier hundred times out of a hundred before they start practicing at five o'clock at night. So I'll take eight o'clock in the morning. General, there as you mentioned tonight, a number of things to be excited about. If you have a concern, and I'm and look, it's a team coming off two four win seasons, so there are concerns. And Nick Casario and Lovey Smith have done their best to address those. But as they go into training camp, What's the biggest concern that you have about this 2022 roster and squad and team? Let me start, John, with offense. Uh, they need they need production from tight ends. They need tight ends to become a, a formidable weapon. Brevin Jordan in his second season, considering most players make their biggest improvement between their first and second season, I look for him to emerge and become a dangerous receiver, not just in the red zone like he was at the end of last year when a light bulb seemed to go off for him. Also, of course, the running game, worst in franchise history, worst in NFL. It starts up front. How many new starters will there be? Left guard, right guard, A.J. Can. It's obvious he's the starter there playing for his Jacksonville coach, George Warhop. Can Justin Brett stay healthy? We know he can provide the leadership, but can he be productive? And not just – it actually helps the lineman knowing where Davis Mills is going to be. I think Davis Mills is a better runner than he shows because he works so hard to stay in the pocket, which is better for the lineman. And they've got to make sure the running game is better. It's the best friend of a quarterback. It's the best friend of the defense. And then on defense – they're, they got depth at linebacker. Christian Harris, third-round pick from Alabama, ran a 4-4-4 at his combine. I think that you know he's going to be great on special teams like Jalen Petrie, and we'll see more and more of him because he is the perfect linebacker for Lovey Smith. Now, you got Christian Kirksey, you got Camus Grugier Hill. Most of the time, they're playing two linebackers. Garrett Wallow, he may take the biggest jump of the rookies from last year because he started to show it down the stretch. So I think linebacker is not a weakness. And the defensive line, if they get a right defensive end to provide a pass rush opposite John Bernard, that could be Jerry Hughes, could be Mario Addison, could be Shane Green. Green's playing in place of Jonathan Bernard right now and getting a lot of work with the first team. And in the secondary was Stingley and and not just the two rookies, Stingley and Petrie, but Steven Nelson. Nick Casario's done a good job of trying to fortify a weakness there, pass rush. So if I had to pick something, I would say a persistent pass rush from a four-man front on defense where Lovey Smith doesn't have to blitz to manufacture the rush and then improving the running game. It starts in the offensive line. Uh, John, two questions. First, uh, related to show preparation, we'll do a little show prep meeting right here for training camp. Are you going to continue your non-retirement, your working retirement, and show up at training <laughs> camp and join us on the air during our training camp shows? 
Well, I'm, if you'll have me, I mean, I tell people I retired from the Chronicle, but I still do 10 weekly radio, radio shows in six cities. I'm on six, ten, four times a week. You guys on Thursday night and each of the other shows on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Friday. And I love being on with you guys. All I'd be doing is talking right, sports nice. 24-7. So I love being on there. I like being out. I still I have a, I picked up 2,000 followers since I retired on Twitter. I'm up to 148,400, and I'm not really sure why, other than I, um, I I retweet a lot, but not not as much as I did before. But I tweet more. Like I went to see the new Adam Sandler basketball movie, oh, and yeah. I thought if you like basketball, it's terrific. Hustle. It's got so many players, coaches, general managers in it. You got to watch the credits to see who all they were, to see who all of them were, and uh, probably tonight or tomorrow, I'm going to go back and tweet observations from uh, uh, OTAs, and I don't rush out and do it because I don't think people who follow me are waiting with bait breathlessly. Well, what's he going to tweet? I want to be informative. I want to be entertaining. I'll be tweeting a lot about throwing out the first pitch of the Astros Sunday. I tweeted one last night. I said, I bet Justin, I hope Justin Verlander doesn't get intimidated because he's going to be relieving me. And uh, and I told people if they close their eyes and they hear the, the, the pop of the catcher's mitt, they might think my throw was Verlander's throw. <laughs> so, and then next Wednesday, oh, yeah. I've got, I've got the charity event for Dan Pastorini's foundation and Mark, you'll be one of the speakers and sports radio 610 is one of the sponsors and, that's going to be a lot of fun for charity. So I got a lot going on. I got a lot to tweet about, and I got a lot to talk about. General, the Colts General, and the Titans. Uh, the Colts and the Titans seem like they're the right two now. teams at the forefront of the AFC South. I feel like there's an opportunity for both of them to take a step back if quarterbacks don't play well, running backs don't stay healthy, et cetera. Which one do you think is a bigger candidate to take a step back in the AFC South, the Colts or the Titans? Well, I think with Derrick Henry coming back, then that gives Mike Vrabel a great running game again. But there's no way they can't fill the loss of A.J. Brown. I mean, there's just no way. I don't care Traylon Burks how, how well he does. If he ever gets in great shape, Brown torched teams, including the Texans. So I think that they, they had the best record in the AFC. And they had to beat the Texans by three points, in which – Davis Mills was terrific to do it. So I could see them taking a step back. The Colts, I don't see that Matt Ryan is a big improvement over Carson Wentz. Wentz didn't have bad stats. The reason Wentz is gone is things that happened behind the scenes. They didn't think he was a leader. They didn't think he was part of their culture. So now he's in Washington, and Matt Ryan is there with a lot to prove. Ryan did not have a good season. Was it because he's hitting a wall? As he gets older, or was it a lack of talent on the Falcons' offense? We'll find that out because he'll be a whole lot better off knowing he's got Jonathan Taylor there to give him between 1,500 and 2,000 yards rushing. What a difference that will be for him. John, uh, John Harris and I were having a conversation last night about the fact that the AFC South is – I calculate this, and, John, you can weigh in on this too, John Harris. I calculate three divisions in football where – None of the teams in the division have it where the quarterback is the most feared player that you face or the player that gives you the most concern. And I think 
Interestingly enough, the NFC West is one of those because 49ers, Seahawks, even the Rams because they have Aaron Donald and Arizona. I don't think the quarterback is the most feared or a guy that gives you the most concern. NFC West is another, and the AFC South is where we started. Do you agree with that assessment? Yeah, I don't think Matt Ryan is the one. I don't think Ryan Tannehill is the one. Those guys like here are the best offensive player is Brand Cooks. And uh, I think in Tennessee, it's Derrick Henry. In Indianapolis, it's Jonathan Taylor. In Jacksonville, who knows? But that's why I think I predicted, and I'm going to stick with this, I think the Texans will win their first game over the Colts like they won that first game over Jacksonville. And people go, oh, it was only Jacksonville. But the Jaguars were favored by five and a half or six points. And they were favored in the other game. Texans, the, tech, the last time the Texans lost to the Jaguars, I had hair. And so it's been so long, eight games, I think. So I think uh, the Texans are – I'm not saying they're going to win a bunch of games. I think they'll be better on both sides of the ball and good on special teams. And they'll they'll win some close games and lose some close games like they did last year. But I just got a good feeling about the Colts game. To start the year, of course. Uh, General, the uh, I was talking with – I can't remember who I was talking with, but we were talking about the NFC East this year, and we're talking about, obviously, the Texans having to face the NFC East. And one of the things I said, there are four games, and if the Texans want to have a five, six, maybe even seven-win season, they've got to go three and one against the NFC East, which means they've got to win one of the games against the Giants or Dallas at home and then beat Washington and Philadelphia back here at NRG. The NFC East, I think, for the last couple of years has been a division that's just struggled. No matter who won the division, Eagles one year, Cowboys one year. I mean, they got two teams in playoffs last year. I don't know how. Uh, but is the NFC East going to be better this year, you think, overall, even though there were some changes in key spots? Philadelphia had A.J. Brown, and, of course, you got the Cowboys. But do you think the NFC East is going to be any better? Do you think the Texans are going to be facing four NFC NFC East rock star teams this year, or you think it's going to be like it's been the last couple of years in that division? I think the Texans can beat the Giants in Washington. I don't see them beating the Cowboys, and I don't see them beating the Eagles, although that game's here. You know, the Eagles will have a lot of fans because they travel well, and they have a lot of fans all over the country. And a lot of that depends on Jalen Hurts and how much he improves in his third season. You know, the Eagles were hot trot over to Sean Watson last year, and he rejected them. And they wanted him, and I don't think they had to have settlements. They wanted him bad. And they might have been back in the running again, but he just didn't want to go there. And uh, so, but they professed confidence in Hurts, and he couldn't, he's become a better passer, and A.J. Brown should help him do that. But I think if they could go two and two in that division and three and three in their division, that would be five victories, and then they might have a chance to win seven or eight. John, is Top Gun Maverick – the best sequel ever? Absolutely not. My God, oh. what about The Godfather 2? <laughs> Give me a break. It's good. I liked it. I thought it was Rel- the best flying sequences Rel- I've ever seen. But the best sequel? What have you been smoking? I didn't know you still <laughs> did <laughs> that. Rel- I thought you got over that. Relative- <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> it's been a few decades, General. Uh <laughs> Relative, but you didn't inhale, right? Relative to the way the first one was. <laughs> Never. Oh. What, do you, what do you mean? To, 
the Godfather to to me. Right, if so I was marooned on it, were you not counting those? No, I was because Godfather One was a Best Picture winner. Godfather Two yes. won Best Picture. You'll never have yes. that again, I don't think. But Top Gun One was. Yeah, I'm not going to say it was critically acclaimed, but this one is beloved, I think, even more than the first one. So I'm I'm talking about the jump it took from film one to film two. Well, I liked the first one. I've seen it a million times. I took it for what it was. I didn't expect to go in and think it was going to compete for an Academy Award, but it was entertaining. And I think that having – remember – the new one was shot in 2018. They've had four years. And I think during the pandemic, the delay just had everybody on the edge of their seats waiting for it to finally come out. And the fact that it was really good, but what made it extra good for me were the flying sequences. And I know I was gripping the armrest and I was on the edge of my seat, even though I knew Maverick wasn't going down. But uh, there were a lot of things to like about it. And uh, I wish it had been longer. That was a pretty short movie, and I wanted to see more of it. General, what do you have going on at Sports Radio 610? Are you on the afternoon show tomorrow as they hit the road again? Yes, we're going to be at Tailgaters out in uh, Tomball. Look forward to it. I love going on those remotes on Friday and hanging out with all the listeners. I like to talk to them, post pictures with them. They treat me like royalty, as does the station, and then I'll be back on Tuesday at, uh, we're doing a remote at Corm- Cormier's in uh, spring where we did one on Friday for the 1,000th episode of In the Loop. As I tweeted earlier, I do not know how John Lopez and Figgy Fig have been able to put up with Landry Locker, <laughs> but somehow comes. they have been able to survive him, and you'll see me over at the mini camp. And then I'll be leaving, headed to spring to help them celebrate that 1,000th episode. All right. Looking forward to all of it. Thank you, General, for being on tonight. Mark and John, thank you very much. This time next week, Mark, we can talk about your uh, your appearance as one of the speakers on the, on the uh, Toast of the General. I look forward to it. Thank you. Oh, yeah. I'm ready. Thank you, General. All right, coming up, who's better? We do it on Thursdays most of the time. And I've got Texans offensive stuff, AFC South stuff, practice stuff. Maybe even we'll get back into the movie thing. Who knows? It's next. Who's better on Texans Radio? Texans Radio continues in a moment. As of March 2022, Hyundai has won more total IIHS top safety awards than any other brand over the past eight years with optional front crash prevention and specific headlights. And here's another reason to feel safe. Every new Hyundai comes with America's best warranty. It's your journey. Own it with Hyundai. Get 2.79% APR for 60 months on our most popular models with new inventory arriving daily. Visit your local Hyundai dealer, the official car of the Houston Texans. Offer ends 63022. Call 469 613 0227 for more details. 27 for more details. 27 for more details. 27 for more. Texans Radio, the drive continues. It does. Mark Vandermeer and John Harris with you. Great to have you along for the ride tonight. Johnny, you ready for a who's better? Let's do this. Let's go. All right. Now, this is a projection. What's better, 
the 2007 Texans offense, I'll say why I bring this up again, or the 2022 offense, what's going to be better? And to reset things, I bring up 2007 because that was the kind of jump that this offense needs. They went from 28th in 2006 to 14th in 2007 and 12th in points. They ran for 1,586 yards, 3.8 per pop. That's not a ton there as a team. And passing, get this, Johnny. They threw 24 touchdown passes between Schaub and Rosenfels and 21 picks, yet still went 8-8 eight and eight and jumped all those spots in total offense, finishing 14th. What do you think, 07 or 2022? What's 20, better? 2022. Now, here's something interesting to think about. How many starts did Matt Schaub have in the NFL going into 2007? Two. How many Davis Mills Two. have? More than well, Davis 11. Mills had more than two, yeah. So, uh, so Mills has a starting experience leg up on Matt Schaub, and there was a lot. I mean, there was a lot of excitement about Matt Schaub coming here, and he only had two starts in the NFL. Receiver-wise, you had Andre in 2007. Okay, Jacoby Jones came along as a rookie. You know, Kevin Walters started to kind of emerge with the receiver group, I would think, this year with the Texans. Nobody's going to top Andre Johnson, but you know Brandon Cooks doesn't take a backseat to, to anybody. 2007 offensive line, I got to give it to 2022. I, you know, look, you got Chester, you got Ephraim up there, um, but I thought Flanagan was just a disaster at center. You had Eric Winston on one side, but I think for the most part, the offensive line has more potential. But I think where 2007 had a little bit of an edge was the tight end position. And the general alluded to it. And I actually wrote my position breakdown for the tight ends. And then I've got to submit it. I forgot to submit it for the show. But it will be out uh, hopefully on HoustonTexas.com looking at the tight ends position. That to me is the difference. If you put Owen Daniels on this offense, look out. One of these tight ends has to emerge for this 2022 offense to go to a different level. And I'm not saying that guy's got to be Travis Kelsey. I'm not saying that guy's got to be George Kittle. But you know what? I would take Owen Daniels. I would take Brevin Jordan turning into a reliable Owen Daniels-like threat somewhere on the field. And he's got the ability to do it. He absolutely has the ability to do it. But I think a tight end, another pass-receiving weapon has got to emerge. There's no doubt. And one of these running backs, whether it's Rex, Marlon Mack, Damian Pierce, whether it's Jed Anderson, Dario Gumbwale, any of these, one of these running backs has got to step up and maybe not be the equivalent of Ron Dane down the stretch in 2007, but it's got to be something where you go, okay, when you hand the ball to that guy, the defense respects it and goes, okay, this is going to be trouble. The way when we face, and I'm not putting our running backs in the, the class of Henry and, and Taylor, but whenever the ball is turned around, when whenever – Tanner Hill or Matt Ryan turn around and hand it to Taylor or Henry. I hold my breath every time. Every time. Because that thing's a house call if you're not yeah. taking care of your gap responsibility. That's a house call. Uh, and we've seen them from those two guys over the last how many ever years. The Texans have to have a guy like that. They have to have a guy when that guy touches the ball. And I don't care if it's Mechie or Brandon or a Pierce or Jed Anderson or whomever. Somebody, when that guy touches the ball, that defense is in for a long day. Miss a gap, he'll embarrass you. Um, that's the kind of player the Texans have got to have develop in 2022 to guarantee what I'm saying that 2022 is better than the 2007 offense. That's got to happen. But if I'm a betting man, which I'm not, 
But if I got a few Diet Cokes in my pocket, I would put it on the 2022 offense. And I also would trust Pep Hamilton, too. Um, I think Gary Kubiak did yeah. wonders with that offense. But I'm going to roll with Pep Hamilton helping this group get the most out of what's there. That team also got a bunch of turnovers, by the way, helping them finish 8-8 eight and eight for the first time in franchise history, a 500 record. All right, next who's better? It's what's better? Uh, what's a better chance? Well, actually, I'm going to go who's better here because this is much more palatable. And I'm going to go national. Okay. Who's got a better chance of finding a new home first, Baker Mayfield or Jimmy Garoppolo? A better chance of finding a new home first, Mayfield or Garoppolo? Go. Baker, because I think Jimmy's injury is – it's the X factor in all this. Look, I mean, how how um, how Baker responds to everything is an X factor too because, you know, Baker can be a little um, different. He can be dangerous one day. He can kind of be in his feelings the next. I mean, it's – you know, you, you just never know with Baker. You'd like to see him be a little bit more flatline in some sense. I love the fire he plays with, but I just worry about what I'm getting on a consistent day-to-day basis with him. I think with Garoppolo, I get that. I get kind of flatline. I get excitement when it's needed, but for the most part, he stays pretty level-headed. But I just don't know how that shoulder is going to respond. And that, I think, is a big factor. He will not have gone through a team's – neither one of them will have gone through a team's OTAs. But how much, with that shoulder, shoulder surgery, are you going to let Garoppolo throw in camp? How much are you going to let him – Get comfortable with his receivers. At least with Baker, if you get him before your camp, you can, I don't want to say wear him out, but you can get him up to speed pretty quickly. You don't have to have him on a pitch count. And if you find, uh, you know, a decent fit for him, I think Baker ends up being that guy. I just think the injury to Garoppolo is a little bit, it, we're just sort of poo-pooing it. Like, oh, it's a shoulder injury. He's fine. Uh, I don't know about that uh, with Jimmy Garoppolo. So we saw what happened when Baker Mayfield had a shoulder injury on his non-throwing shoulder. So Jimmy's got to come back from that. I I don't know. I think that's to, that worries me more than than a lot of things. Now you go back to 2006, and Drew Brees has got this you know labrum thing, and the Dolphins are like, no, no, we don't trust it. We're going to go with Dante Culpepper. I don't know that there's as big a talent gap between Baker Mayfield and Drew Brees as there is between Dante Culpepper and Drew Brees. I don't know. Maybe back in 2006, we didn't see him see it as a gap. I don't know. But it certainly turned into one. I don't think there's as big a gap sure. that this injury would, would – oh, yeah, I'm going to wait for Jimmy Garoppolo. No, I don't get that feeling. I would go ahead and fire on Baker, surround him with some good vets, and I think – Give him a good offensive plan. Doesn't have to carry anything. He doesn't have to carry the team. Just surround him and just let him ball. And then hopefully he matures into the quarterback people can think. And he stays healthy. I think last year the biggest problem was Baker just didn't stay healthy. And because he wasn't healthy, it, and the it impacted running everything. Health. Yeah, that too. And, I mean, look, he had two of the better running yep. backs in the, on his team uh, with Cream uh, Hunt and Nick Chubb. So – he just needed to rely on them a little bit more. They needed to rely on him a little bit more. And Baker just but it went sideways. Hurt. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, Hunt was hurt for a little yeah. bit. Chubb was hurt for a little bit. But I think Baker's got to be in a position where he's not carrying a team right away. And I'm not totally sure there's a posi- there's a, a spot like that. But I would trust him a little bit more because Garoppolo's got that shoulder injury. It's going to be tough to come back from. All right. 
this is a reset question in who's better because I asked you this about a month or two ago, but we're going to do it again because things okay. change over time and maybe opinions change. You never know. Who's better, the Colts or the Titans? The Colts with Matt Ryan handing off to Jonathan Taylor. Darius Leonard forcing fumbles. Mayhem. Kenny Moore, your favorite player in the universe, even though he's a Colt. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I know he's not your favorite player in the universe, but you do no. like Kenny Moore a little bit. Or the Tennessee Titans with Derrick Henry back healthy and them doing damage on the ground. Defense with Jeffrey Simmons up front wreaking havoc. Who's better, Colts or Titans? Colts. I feel pretty confident in that about the Colts being better. Now, the Darius Leonard thing becomes very, very interesting. He's going to have back surgery. It sounds like he's going to be back for training camp. But, look, we've seen those back situations. And if it's the type of surgery that I think he's having, I've had that surgery. And now, I mean, I had that surgery at the age of 48. He's having it at 28. So there's a little (laughs) difference there. But the dude plays a position in which having a back injury is not the greatest thing in the world, especially if it keeps him from full flexibility and all that kind of stuff. Now, Gronk had those surgeries, but it took its toll after a while. So we'll see if it takes a toll on Darius Leonard. They still have got players, there's no doubt. But there are certain players, when you take and pluck that player off that team, there's just something something changes. And I'm not going to say that, oh, the Colts defense is going to go from, I don't know, top five in the league without Darius Leonard to you know bottom five. But there's something that's missing when Leonard is not on a field because he's so good in coverage. He's so good punching the ball out and creating turnovers uh, and takeaways. That's gone. That's when he's not in the on the field. You don't fear that. And and those the Colts play with a different spirit. If that makes sense, when he's on the field, when he's not on the field, there's a you know kind of workmanlike attitude. They go through their they go you know through their business and do their business, but it's just different. So am I hoping that Darius Leonard isn't there? Yes. Uh, I hope he misses week one. But overall, if Leonard is back healthy, I do think Matt Ryan's got his fastball for at least a year. And that's going to be enough because I think the Titans, and I've said this a few times, I think the Titans take a step back. This is the I think the Titans are 9-8. and eight. I think this is a year. They've got they to play a first-place schedule in the AFC, which is supremely difficult because that means Buffalo, and that also means the Cincinnati Bengals on top of playing the entire uh, AFC West. So that, just two games, but it's a big two games to have to play those two teams, Cincinnati and Buffalo, that the Texans don't have to play, that the Colts don't have to play. Now, the Colts have got to play the Patriots and the Steelers. Is that right? Steelers, I think. Uh, It could be the Steelers. So there's a little difference there for the Colts um, as opposed to facing Josh Allen and Joe Burrow. You know, the Titans get to face those two guys. The Colts don't, and I think that helps them. So I'm going to give the Colts the advantage on a lot of different fronts. Uh, I got one more for you, some stuff from around the league, some stuff from practice. It's all coming up next here on Texans All Access. Texans All Access continues in a moment. Two is better than one. How many times have you heard that one? More than once, I bet, because it just adds up. For example, there are two, not one, great reasons to fill up with Chevron with Tecron. Number one, unbeatable cleaning power. And number two, or maybe this should be number one, unbeatable mileage. 
Plus, Chevron puts Tecron in every grade, every gallon of their gasoline. So that's two, no wait, three unbeatable reasons to go with the one and only Chevron with Tecron. Care for your car. Texas. We put quality, technology, and capability in the hands of every Texan who drives one. Visit your Texas Ford dealer today and you'll see why. Ford is the best in Texas. We return to Texans All Access. Mark Vandermeer, John Harris with you. Johnny, I was going to throw this one at you about what's better, LIV Golf or live golf. I don't know how they want to be addressed or the USFL because it's competing with a really known established entity. Both are. And by the way, I guess the USFL, I'm not sure what the ratings were the last couple of weeks. I've stopped checking. I haven't really watched much of it. I've watched a few possessions here and there. It's not grabbing me. I don't know if the Birmingham thing is working. I think obviously this would have worked well during covid because there were no other sports and people were used to watching things at least eventually without fans in the stands. But right now it's just like, eh, I don't know if the XFL will be any better. I know there's a Houston team in the USFL, but it's not really a Houston team since they're yeah. playing in Birmingham, Alabama. Uh, LIV Golf, it's not on regular TV. So you can watch it on YouTube or on their website. But you know who finds that cumbersome? Golf fans. They don't like this. Why? They like things on the Golf Channel uh, or on ESPN because golf fans tend to be a little older. Like, how do I find YouTube on my flat screen? I can do this very easily, but a lot of golf fans might have some difficulty doing this. It, it'll be interesting. It's the future. I get it streaming, so stream on your flat screen that way. But it'll be a challenge for them to grab a foothold in the American mind space sports-wise. You bring up a great point. That is, how do I how do I find it, and how do I find it on my TV? Well, I can find it on my phone. I can find it on a computer. YouTube.com. That way you go. But it, you're you're right. I mean, I think about my parents. Could I? My parents. You know, my dad who likes to watch golf. I was a great golfer himself. Hey, how do I watch this? All right, we'll go to YouTube on your TV. Yeah. How do I do that? Uh, boy, that's when it gets. Sure. Like, that's a. It's a great. It's a great point, but. It also, it keeps you, I guess, uh, I mean, maybe it'll happen. Maybe they want to put the product out there for free and let people see it, get some people hooked on it, and then find some way of of putting it out there. Uh, I don't know. And and what becomes kind of interesting, Mark, and this is kind of uh, on this point and kind of not, but I just saw that LSU just decided to have their own streaming subscription service lsu gold they call it yeah and i think they're charging 8.99 a month and i'm sure there are going to be lsu fans that are like yeah heck yeah sign me up now they're going to be a lot they're like nah, i don't know man i don't know why i sign up for that but if you start getting some you know some fans that are excited about it they'll sign up for it maybe that's what they're going to do maybe it's going to be a subscription-based sort of thing um, where they charge people to watch the tournaments after the youtube thing i don't know i have no idea but the USFL, they got to score, man. They can't score. Scores like 17, 10. They, I'm telling you, I know it, it, it sucks to say this in some sense, being a defensive guy, 
they got to put up scores like 50 to 41, like to get people's attention. Man, did you see yeah, the end do. of that game? Three touchdowns right. in the last two minutes. You got to score. You have to yeah. score to get people's attention, and that league is not doing it. Excellent point, Johnny. Excellent point right there. I was going to ask you, what's better at practice, special teams or throwing on air? <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to watch the guys you know, throw my, on air. My yeah. Special teams, though, you know how I feel about that. I know how you feel about that. This Time the, to head for the restroom. I think when you put the pads on the special teams part, it gets a little bit more exciting um, when you put the pads on. Yeah. But I, I love to watch guys throw and catch. I mean, I just the where, sure. where the quarterbacks put the ball, how the receivers, you know, what technique they're using to catch the ball. Are they using the right techniques? Are they body catchers? Those kind of things. So I always love guys throwing – uh, on air, that that never has bothered me. I love watching that sort of stuff. And, of course, you see receivers at that point. If the quarterback's not on point, doing some crazy things, one-handed catches and things like that. You're not going to see that in special teams. But you know me. I always want to watch the trenches. So I pass on that on-air stuff to go watch the trenches down on the other side. All right, Johnny, that's going to do it for today. I got plenty more, but we have plenty more shows between now and the end of time to go over this stuff yes. and we will have Nick Casario on either tomorrow or Monday. We'll let you know soon enough and it's going to be fun tomorrow night, six o'clock. Thank you, Chris, for producing. Go to HoustonTexans.com and the Texans app for all the stories, videos, pictures, everything from practice, which has been going on for a few weeks now. Have a great night, everyone and go Texans. This is Texans radio on sports radio, 610. How do we outsmart cancer? At Houston Methodist, we're creating nanodevices to directly treat tumors, minimizing side effects. We're researching how repurposing existing treatments can stop the deadliest form of breast cancer from spreading. And removing cervical cancer without affecting the uterus so you can still give birth. That's the difference between practicing medicine and leading it. Houston Methodist, leading medicine. To learn more, visit HoustonMethodist.org. HoustonMethodist.org.